I have found that, especially when I think about spiritual practices or disciplines as just simply ways of opening, that that takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, and of course, you know, one of the areas that I emphasize that I haven't seen as much of an emphasis as here in his work is the whole idea of desire. That if it's something we really want, then we are opening ourselves to a thing that we really want. So we're just bringing some intention to something that we really want. And that's the way we roll as human beings, right? Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center. And in this season, I am glad to be back with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and transforming in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. This season, we're walking through Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. It's part of the Transforming Resources collection published by InterVarsity Press. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Just visit transformingcenter.org patron to sign up and learn more. We thank you so much for your monthly support at any level. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Friends, welcome to episode seven, Classic Spiritual Disciplines. And um, Ruth, really, I, I do want to set this straight because I know that for some people, the word discipline has some baggage around it. Can you mm-hmm. help us redeem it before we dive into the to the classic spiritual disciplines? Yes, it's, it is unfortunate, and I couldn't agree more. That word is a problem word, and so sometimes we will replace that word with practice, which has a really good connotation because we these are things we practice. Nobody gets perfect at them. We just keep practicing, and, um, you know, through practice, we get muscle memory and, you know, we change the ruts and grooves in our brains and all that. So I do enjoy the word practice more than disciplines, I suppose. Um, But Mulholland does address that, too, in the very beginning of his chapter on the classic spiritual disciplines. And he says that somewhere between the extremes of avoidance of discipline and the imprisonment of discipline (laughs) is the holistic practice, and there's that word again, holistic, of balanced spiritual disciplines that become a means of God's grace to shape us in the image of Christ for others. And so there, this is where I just love his Wesleyan emphasis because the Wesleyans emphasize means of grace and, of course, communion is a means of grace and all sorts of means of grace, but all the spiritual practices would be considered means of grace. And so he also goes on to say that spiritual, holistic spiritual disciplines are acts of loving obedience that we offer to God steadily and consistently to be used for whatever work God purposes to do in and through our lives. So I have found that, especially when I think about spiritual practices or disciplines as just simply ways of opening, that that takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, And of course, you know, one of the areas that I emphasize that I haven't seen as much of an emphasis as here in his work is the whole idea of desire, that if it's something we really want, then we are opening ourselves to a thing that we really want. So we're just bringing some intention to something that we really want. And that's the way we roll as human beings, right? Right. We want, and we know what we want. We get in touch with our deepest desires, and then we order our lives for that. And the practices enable us to open ourselves to what it is we say we really want. So I I think that he threads that needle really well also. Um because if it's if something is significant in our lives, we do bring some discipline around it. 
Like if you want to go to seminary to prepare to be a pastor and to be a good pastor, then you do the discipline of going to seminary, right? And it, it feels like part of living towards what you want, not something that somebody's imposing on you. But um, I think that's, I'm so glad you brought mm -hmm. that classic undergirding transforming center belief that it starts with desire back into mm -hmm. the conversation because it can get pretty lost. I think when you talk about disciplines for many people, the discipline is the point, you know, like mm -hmm. just somehow practicing it is the point, but no, that's a, that's, there's, there's something union with God is the point. And transformation of our souls and you know spirits are the point and so when we want that and we name that then sure i can i'll i'll, I'll do the work yeah so, so thank you for that reframing right well and you know mulholland does such a great job too of of trying to help us kind of walk the third way or thread the needle if you will between making the spiritual disciplines some sort of a self-help program um, and, you know, something that has to do with the self and what the self can accomplish, um, or this very empty rote, you know, I got to do this. Um, but he says the only pure motive for our spiritual disciplines is a motive of loving obedience to God. And I would even say maybe loving openness to God, ah, you know, which yeah. I really like. Yeah. Um, and that loving openness, the thing is, we're opening to what it is we really want. So how yes. can that be bad? Right. You know, right. like uh, the, the kind of person that he's describing, the kind of person that that we talk about that that is abandoned and surrendered to God and, and is able to lay down one's preferences in order to be in love for the world. Um, th those are things I really want. Yeah. And so these practices just give me a way to open to that. And that doesn't feel weighty to me at all. It feels um, it feels winsome. And I find it to be quite relieving to know that all I have to do is open. I don't have to make stuff happen. And that's been very relieving for me as well. I can open. I can show up. That's all I have to do. The rest <laughs> of it's up to God. And that feels like about the amount of weight I can handle. I like you know? that a lot. I like that yeah. a lot. And yeah. it reminds us, too, that we're not the initiators of our spiritual journey. We're simply mm -hmm. participants, and our job is yeah. to open. And yeah. we can do that. Yes, we can. So Mulholland explores four of the classical spiritual disciplines, prayer, spiritual reading, Lectio Divina, and liturgy. So let's go through them one by one. Mm -hmm. Let's start with prayer. And um, how would you define prayer? Do you have a working definition of prayer, Ruth? I do. Um, it's, uh, you know, I talk about it as all the ways that we communicate and commune with God. Um, so, of course, communicate would be an emphasis on words, whereas communion would emphasize prayer that is beyond words. Mm -hmm. So those are the that's the way that I talk about prayer. Um, you know, Mulholland is talking about prayer as a classic Christ, Christian spiritual discipline, and he makes the point, and it's an important point, that prayer is primarily relational and not just functional. So oftentimes in our culture, we think, well, if I pray, then God has to do this. Um, yes. And I think the question of what happens in prayer... Mulholland makes the point that prayer as a classic Christian spiritual discipline is primarily relational and not functional. And it does confront our tendency to make everything functional, you know, or even kind of a cause and effect. Like if I pray and if I get the right techniques, then God has to do this for me. And that's just not, that's not what it is. And every spiritual practice, rightly practiced, is going to confront us with 
our need to control and our attempts to control, you know. And so we have to be very careful with prayer in particular that we don't see it as being transactional, you know. I do this, so God has to do that. Right. Um, in, you know, in prayer, we are actually opening. We're, we're not doing the shopping list thing. We're not trying to manipulate God to get God to do what we want God to do. But we're actually opening to the relationship, and it's a relationship that happens in God's way and in God's time. And in prayer, we're offering ourselves to that relationship. We're offering ourselves to God relationally um, and then inviting God to become, you know, the ultimate reality in our lives and to take action in our lives. Um, so it's an offering of ourselves. Prayer is an offering of ourselves to God in a highly relational way. And I think the focus of release, releasing myself to God, prayer being an opportunity to release myself to God, to give up control is really, is really important. Can I ask another question just about the process of prayer too, as it relates to, I, I run into a lot of people who come to an end of the prayer that uses many words and they don't mm -hmm. then know what to do. Uh, they feel like now they can't pray anymore, but really how do you interact with people who come to you with, with, with that conundrum? Well, we've talked before about the fact that that does, that does signal a shift into a new phase of the spiritual life where the words are no longer meaning as much and they're not satisfying. It's not satisfying to use so many words in our prayers. And while it feels very frightening and scary to have the techniques and approaches that we've been using in the past no longer feel satisfied or feel like they work, um, it is an invitation from God to move from communication to communion, which is that ability to be with God um, without the need for so much word or activity. Because even a lot of what we do in our prayer lives is kind of active, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, you know, God invites us to ask to make requests for ourselves and for others. Um, but, you know, the Psalm, Psalm 131, where it talks about the weaned child, the idea there is a way of being in relationship where you're not seeking something. So a weaned child doesn't need anything anymore yeah, from yeah, its mother. Yeah. It's still young enough and dependent enough to need, to, to need the presence of the mother to feel safe and secure, but it's not trying to get something from her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is a, that's a real transition in prayer where we're coming to prayer to be with God, not to get something from God. Right. Wow. But even that, like Ruth, that's profound right there. Mm -hmm. That's profound right there, what you just said. I think most of us don't think about it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I pray that we can go there when God invites, yep. you know, and that when, when the words fail and when words no longer satisfy and the relationship's not working on the level of words, that by knowing about this, we can say, okay, I'm going to let go of the ways that I usually do this and see what God gives me next. And God invites me into a deeper communion than the communion that's, that, that's beyond words. Mm. And so, um, of course, at that point, we also realize that we are not in control, you know, oh, because, because words are a way of controlling the whole thing, controlling the agenda, controlling what happens. Yeah. And in giving up our words, we know instinctively that we're giving up control. And that we're letting God then be the active initiating one with us. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's not easy for us controlling human no, beings, is it? certainly not. Mm -mm. It's certainly not. It, it, there is also, on the, on the other side of that, though, 
for me, I've, I've experienced a real restfulness in not having oh, to crank absolutely. out all those words. Oh, I agree. And if we can see it as rest and feel the invitation to rest in prayer rather than work so hard well, in prayer. We might pray more. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. If we could, if we could redefine the term. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else about prayer? Can we move on to spiritual reading? Well, I think the other thing we need to really uh, remember and point out is that Mulholland is always coming back to community. And so he talks about the corporate aspects of prayer and that um, even the Our Father is our Father, not my Father. And right. so we have, we here in America have a very privatized um, approach to our spiritual lives. And my spiritual life is about me and it's about me and Jesus and it's about my personal relationship. And Theologically and biblically and historically, that's not exactly the way that it's been seen. Yeah. So the Our Father is Our Father. With with Our Father, who art in heaven, we're actually acknowledging the fact that it's not just about me. Mm-hmm. That our, you know, Our Father is Our Father, the family of God. We are all children of God together, mm-hmm. and it's never just about me. Um, and so there's always from the from the get go a corporate dimension to our prayers. And that by making sure that we're not just engaging in a private prayer life, but that we are also engaged in a corporate prayer life, um, that it takes us beyond the narrowness of being so self-focused and so self-absorbed. Um, and also that when our words fail and we feel like we don't have much to bring, the community prays. Yes. And we're still there. We're in it. They're praying for us. And, you know, the practice of fixed hour prayer, which is such an important practice for us in the Transforming Center, I've experienced that over and over again, moments when I don't have the words, but the corporate expression of prayer gives me words. Um, Or when I can't pray, when when I'm literally so sad or Mm. so tired that I can't pray, the community prays for me, and I'm carried along on their prayers. So I... I also think that corporate prayer carries us beyond our controlling mechanisms as well, because it means, you know, when I engage in, in when I engage in the community's life and in the community's prayer, um, others are leading oftentimes. Um, maybe the scriptures that we use are the lectionary scriptures, mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of ways in that in which, again, I give up, I give up my independence and I submit to the life of the community, mm-hmm. and I let the the life of the community lead me in my private personal praying. So um, it's, I think it's, it's beautiful to keep private prayer in the context of a, of a certain amount of corporate prayer, which supports us in our individual praying. Yeah. You know, it reminds us that prayer is, is a major function of the, the soul in God's presence. Prayer in some ways can be seen as all, just the, the whole relationship itself, it can be seen as prayer. Yes. So we never want to, to, move away from the life of prayer. All the ways we commune with God. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Good. Well, let's talk about spiritual reading. Mm-hmm. And how would you define that? Well, you know, when I use the word spiritual, you know how I like to define it, of the Spirit, yep. the Holy Spirit, the yep. third person of the Trinity. So when we talk about spiritual reading, we're talking about reading that is guided by the Holy Spirit rather than it being about me with my mind grabbing information. It's about finding, again, ways to be open and receptive to what God has to say to me. Um, so I think that our culture sets us up not to do very well with that because our culture sets us up in, in sort of an educational model where we are the master of the text and we're trying to control the text to our own ends. So it's hard for us to shift that 
when we approach something in, in a spiritual way. And when we talk about spiritual reading, we're talking about Scripture, but we're, we're actually talking about any kind of reading that we approach in a particular way, and that is with the intention to be guided by the Spirit, mm. and with a method of reading that enables us to open to the Spirit rather than just control the text for our own ends. And so this is a real challenge for us. We've talked about this on other, you know, in other seasons of the podcast, that spiritual reading is a discipline of opening myself to God mm-hmm. in my reading rather than coming to the text with my own agenda, trying to cling and grasp and control it for my own ends. And now seeing the reading of a text as a means of grace through which I can encounter God and that God wants to say something to me, that yeah. God's ready to speak and wants to speak. If I can approach it in such a way as to listen, that God is is anxious to speak hmm. to me. Hmm. And so then spiritual reading becomes intimate. And and I, I'm sure that you've experienced that it's not just about reading the Bible. There are other spiritual texts that we approach that become places of intimate encounter with God where we say, oh, wow, God had that word prepared for me yes. at this moment. I even think there's a way in which it's it's can be for some of us who grew up Protestant, evangelical, mm-hmm. hard to read the Bible intimately because it's been just seen. It's been weaponized many times. It's been yes. it's been over examined and mm-hmm. you know. Um and so poetry, you know, Rumi and Hafiz mm-hmm. and sometimes for me that can really be where spirit leads me to something deeply true. Right. Um, so I agree. It's in and, and it's the Bible as well. Mm-hmm. But I also I recognize that I have lenses with the Bible in ways that I don't with other things, right? That right. aren't helpful, aren't helpful lenses, right? Well, and so here's an interesting thing. You know, for my own life right now, um, I'm heading into a sabbatical time, and one of the the second book on my reading list for sabbatical time is Martin Luther King Jr.'s. Um, where do we go from here, chaos or community? Wow. And I and I was already in it. I was already three quarters of the way, no, half half the way through it when the latest horrors happened. And I feel that God was in the choice of the reading. I feel like mm. God w- was already at work having me deeply steeping in those themes and listening to a leader that I, I think has a word for us right now. Yeah. Um, and so as I approach that, I am not approaching it as information gathering. I'm expecting God to speak to me every day. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm expecting there to be um, changes in my soul, but also actions that God wants me to take. Yeah. And so I'm approaching it not to get through it and check it off a list, but I am approaching it assuming that God's going to want to speak to me. I'm approaching it um, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to me and, and and with a commitment that I'm going to stop when it's when when God when you speak to me I will stop mm-hmm. and I will uh, hear you and I will mm-hmm. um, ponder what you're saying and I will wonder what my response should be. Mm-hmm. This is the way we approach some of the great pieces of spiritual writing. Yeah, that we need to be engaging right now and and in that way it becomes formational and transformational because there's there's a power in it because it's it's God's for us right now if we know how to open to it. Mm, I love that. Um, I think Lectio Divina leads right into that because it's Mm -hmm. a different way of communing with God through the scripture. Can you explain what that is and how you practice it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Lexio Divina is a form of spiritual uh, reading and it, it just brings some structure to this intent, you know, so the intention in spiritual reading is to hear from God in the reading and to give up control and give up our own agenda so God can have his agenda with us. And Lexio Divina just brings some structure to that intent, some structure to our spiritual reading. And, and Lexio rightly understood is a posture. It's, it's not, it, the structure is, is very, very important, but it's about the posture first. It's that I'm coming with this posture of receptivity, and then the movements in Lexio Divina actually help me to stay in the posture. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so the classic form of Lexio Divina has four components um, with some preparation at the beginning with silence, and then um, Mulholland has added a fifth component, which I would consider to be the conclusion of a Lexio Divina process, and that is um, incarnatio, when we leave the text and, and determine to live it out. So um, in the Latin phraseology, Lexio Divina just means divine reading, you know, D- Divina means divine, Lexio means reading. And then the moves in the process um, help us to be open and receptive. And they give a way in which God can move around our defenses mm-hmm. and our paradigms and the defense strategies that we have sometimes, even with God and even as we approach Scripture. So we begin with some silent preparation, silencio. Um, then we hear the word read. We're listening for the word of the phrase that strikes us. Um, in a proper Lexio fashion, you would read the passage um, twice in the beginning, just so that you can begin to hear the word that God has for you. And what's beautiful about Lexio Divina is that you can that hear the same scripture read at a, you know now and later. And for those of us who have been in scripture for all of our lives, it's it's a way to hear the scriptures freshly, mm-hmm. even some of the most familiar ones. Mm-hmm. And so you know we read wondering what is God's word for me today? What in my life today needs to hear this word? Um, so we, we receive the word, we savor it, then we read it again. We ask what in my life needs to hear this word today. Um, we have opportunity to respond to God in a third reading where we allow there to be a response that comes forward and almost a dialogue that happens between me and God then. So God has, has said a word to me and I respond. So it could be, you want me to do what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. Mm-hmm. I can't possibly do that. That could be one response. Or it could be that we experience God's love. And so it's just letting the love wash over us. It could be conviction. And so a response might be confession and then a determination to make it right. But whatever it is, um, God actually addresses us, mm-hmm. and we actually hear a word from the Lord, and um, and then we respond to God. There's room for actual dialogue and relationship within the reading of Scripture. And then in the final, um, the final phase, contemplatio, we actually rest ourselves in God, and we trust that God's going to bring forth in our life what most needs to be brought forth. We rest in God to do what needs to be done in and through that word in our lives, and we actually yield to the Word of God in in a resting fashion in the final move when the Scripture is read for the final time. But then, you know, Incarnatio, again, connects it back to the last part of the definition, Mm -hmm. for the sake of others. Incarnatio is that I determine to live out this text Mm -hmm. and to incarnate this text in my life. And then I take it with me out into my life, and I keep hearing the word, and I wonder, what does this word mean now? What does this word mean here? What does this word mean there? Um, and I, over time, then begin to incarnate the word of God in my own mm-hmm. life. And so this is a, it's a contemplative reading of Scripture, and what I mean by that is that it's wide open. 
we're just wide open to what is. We're wide open to God's initiation in our lives. Um, there's a kind of a resting in it because we realize that it is God's job to bring it out, to bring his word into our lives and through our lives in that incarnational way. Um, so it's really a way of doing that spiritual reading, um, but doing it with scripture. And so Divina does refer to the reading of scripture, to the reading of the sacred text. Yeah. Um, we can approach other texts that way, but Lexio Divina typically refers to the reading of the divine text. In case it wasn't clear for listeners who are new to Lectio, it's the same passage that gets read those yes. four times, and it's usually a short passage. And I remember, mm -hmm. Ruth, there was one time during one of the communities, during one of the retreats, where I think it, I think it's Isaiah forty-three, where it talks about the river and it, it, it won't you won't drown. I, I can't remember mm -hmm. the exact words. But we did Alexio in um, one of the sessions, and it was powerfully helpful for me in terms of something I was going through. Mm -hmm. But especially as that thing played out over the next year, mm -hmm. I would return to that moment yes. because I realized God gave me that mm -hmm. for the moment, but also for yeah. what was to come. Yes. And I got to journal about it and I would return to that journal many times mm -hmm. that that year. And so um and how I would experience that moment of where a word shimmered maybe mm -hmm. is just a a in a pretty deep internal sense of yes. Like my body mm -hmm. just went yes, you know. Yes. When a certain it was like when the when the words came when the waters wash over you, you will not, mm -hmm. you know, drown. Yes. And it wasn't, um, you know, because some people might say, oh, is it just you? Are you making that up? And mm -hmm. you kind of got to climb out of that way of thinking, right? Yes, like, you do. You just That's a trusting to say that God's going to bring what God will bring. I can trust that God will do that. I don't know how God will do that. But when God does, I will know. And that has and been my And the thing experience. is, yeah, you have to trust that the Holy Spirit is really there. Yes. Then that's why the emphasis on the Holy Spirit in spiritual reading is so important to me because... What we're saying here is, no, we're not going to doubt at that level. Right. This is about the Holy Spirit and the third person of the Trinity who is present with us now as a real person. And there's promises about the scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures in the first place and the Holy Spirit inspires the scriptures now to us. So there's theology around this. And there's really deep. And guide us into yes, all Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And so when you hear yourself saying, well, is that just me? Yeah. Well, probably not. Because, <laughs> yeah. because in Lexio Divina, you are specifically giving yourself to God yes. for that moment yes. in the scriptures. And yes. you're saying, Holy Spirit, lead me yes. and guide me in this, in this scripture time. So then you have to trust that the Holy Spirit is actually there doing that. Yeah, that's well said. Well said. Well, can we move to the to the fourth one, liturgy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, oh, what do we mean? Favorite topic. I know this is you. This favorite is, this topic. This is your bread and butter. I know. If, if Mahalans, yeah. for the sake of others, yours, yeah. you are the work of the people. <laughs> uh, um, what do we mean when we talk about liturgy? And yeah. what are the components that Mahalan talks about? Well, I think when you hear the word liturgy, you think, oh, it's going to be dull and stunt, stilted yeah. and boring and blah, blah, blah. Well, but liturgy means the work of the people. And it's not about elaborate patterns for our worship. It's about the fact that we're actually involved. Yeah. You know, it's about participation. Yeah. Liturgy means we are all participating. Yeah. And in some ways that flies in the face of some of the contemporary models of worship because in contemporary models of worship, oftentimes you have these professional type singers up front with lights and yeah. amplification and highly rehearsed and all that. And it is 
more of a celebrity driven entertainment and no nobody wants it to be that nobody intends it to be that but it becomes that yeah um without us even knowing it it subtly becomes that and when the music is really loud you can't even hear yourself sing mm -hmm. or anybody else sing and you don't have your you don't there's not the sense of we as the people of god are working we're doing the work of worship yeah. here together yeah. so um liturgy only refers uh to the fact that it's you know highly participatory um and it often will include simple forms of worship but that are that are pretty structured mm -hmm. so that we can actually work together corporately to do it together um and so there's scripture readings that are chosen and usually prayers of the church or biblical prayers um there's there's always worship components there there's often an invocation where we invite the presence of the Spirit. There are pieces of the liturgy that all are really significant to the work of being together in this way and that guides us in a corporate experience of being together. Um, so for, for many, the practice of a daily office where you're actually you know, praying multiple times a day in a liturgical fashion where some prayers are provided, that, that's part of it. And then um, there is usually some sort of an unpacking of scripture or a use of scripture. Um, these are all things that, you know, that, that are our work to do, um, not somebody to perform for us. The work of the people is how we live our days and how we move through the, the hours of the day in order to keep ourselves open and available to God. Uh, Ruth, it occurs to me, you know, liturgy doesn't mean the work of the person. It means the work of the people. So uh, let's talk about the corporate nature of liturgy. Yeah. Well, liturgy, I think, gives gives a group of people, a community of people, a way to enter in to the life of God and a life of prayer together. And um, so liturgical prayer services, for instance, are often written so that we can all enter in easily together. And there are components that are usually part of a service, an invocation that invites the presence of the Spirit. Um, there will be scripture, there will be a psalm. One of my favorite parts of a liturgical prayer service outside of the silence, which I love, um, and I think that a liturgical prayer service really does need to have silence in it um, so that we can have some time for reflection on what God's saying to us in and through what's happening in the liturgy. But there will often be kinds of prayers that we would call collects, which is prayers that like help us to collect ourselves yeah, yeah. as a group and to say something to God that we all want to say together and to say it better than better and more together than than if we hadn't been given a prayer that collected us. And so I love prayers that actually collect us all around mm. shared intention and shared affirmation and shared opening to the presence of God when we are together. And of course, that moves us beyond just this privatized approach yes. to our spirituality, to a deeply communal way of approaching God together. And when at least some of the prayers are written, um, then it enables us sometimes to pray in ways we want to pray, but if we were to have to think up our own words, we wouldn't be able to, and it would become too difficult. Mm -hmm. But these words are provided for us and enable us to pray what is on our hearts without having to work quite so hard at coming up with the words ourselves. But we can then fully enter in and, as Scott McKnight would say, uh, pray the prayers as though you mean it, not yeah, rote prayers right. where we're letting them become empty. But the other option there is to pray these great prayers of the church and the great biblical prayers 
to pray them as though we mean them and to let those prayers actually form our private praying yes. because we're being formed now as prayers. In the liturgy, we're being formed as prayers. And, and I love that, that, that that's another function of liturgy is that it teaches us how to pray. So then when we're in our, our private prayer times, we've been shaped for prayer, you know? Mm -hmm. And a different quality of prayer emerges within us because we've been shaped for it. Uh, it occurs to me now that the prayers of Ted Loder in mm -hmm. Grills of Grace are almost all yeah. collect prayers, right? I mean, yeah. they're almost all, oh, yes, mm -hmm. that's what I'm feeling. You yes. know, and when a group exactly. of people can... But I could never have put it that well. Yeah. yeah, well, he's such a poet. But when a group of people pray it together to mm -hmm. the collective breathing in and out, the collective, there's something that is happening in the spirit that is qualitatively different than when you're alone, mm -hmm. when people are... It, sincerely saying these words together that have been prepared and that are there on the page. I can trust it. Well, and, and the same with silence. When you share silence together in a prayer service, oh my goodness, you can almost feel it vibrating around yeah. you. The, and it holds you. If you were by yourself, it might be harder to stay in the silence, but when you're with other people and this is what we're all doing together, yeah. um, wow, it just holds you in that open, receptive stance. Um, so, so Steve, you know, as a pastor, how do you experience liturgy and what happens for you as, as you lead in your own congregation this way? Well, as you know, in the last six years, our I started a church six years ago and we started mm -hmm. it uh, very liturgical. We, we, we call ourselves warmly liturgical mm -hmm. um, because there is some spontaneity there too, for sure. But there's lots yes. of, mm -hmm. there's lots of, um, written prayers, prayers of confession, silence, um, call to worship, benediction, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's interesting these days, you know, because we're all worshiping remotely online, what we do to make sure we're still being the work of the people is we assign the different portions of the liturgy, the call to worship, we'll assign to a family with little kids. And so the little kids will do it. Mm -hmm. And then the couple of scripture reads, and then they'll record the videos, send them in, and then we'll kind of produce mm -hmm. the whole. And so yeah. even though we're apart, it's not just, you know, the pastor doing all the parts um, because it's video or whatever. It's still the work of the people. And one of the most healing things for our community during this pandemic has been our, we have the most amazing kids pastor and she mm -hmm. has put together these healing, creative, beautiful, mm -hmm. um, short, kind of kids sermons, but like we all hang off the edge of our seats mm. because she's helping us without even saying it. She's there like collects really, even though they're not yeah. prayers, she's helping us move through this really weird traumatic time. And no one asked her to do it and no one knew that we needed to do it, but we needed it big time. These, um, these kids sermons that are helping us all remember who we are in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And um, so we, even in the middle of online worship, which you, it could be very stale, we're finding ways to really truly be in it together in pretty profound mm -hmm. ways. And that's a grace, you know, because none of us know what, how this is going to end. And none of us, certainly none of us knew on March 15th that this thing was going to last as long as it did, as far as, not worshiping together. So yeah. the spirit connects us even through. Yes, you know, exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's in, you know, it, it wouldn't happen in the same way if it was more random, I think. Yeah. It, no, no. You no. know, the, the structure is what's helping all of that to happen. 
um, yes. rather than expecting it to happen randomly. Yes. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. Although, you know, I will say, um, you know, I think I've mentioned this before that when I was being raised in the tradition that I was being raised in, we had a whole service that was left completely up to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Ooh. So I have that in my past too, where we'd come in for an hour that we took really literally this idea that when you gather, one will have a scripture, one will wow. have a hymn. And um, so we came and it was an am it's an amazing experience. It's part of why I believe in the Holy Spirit the way that huh. I do, because wouldn't you know it, the Holy Spirit would always have a consistent theme with all these random people coming together, being prayerfully open to the Spirit, offering the word, or the hymn or whatever, there was always a theme that was recognizable because the Holy Spirit was in it. So God can lead in all sorts of different ways from structured to unstructured. But the point is, this is the work of the people yeah. and that it is something that we all participate in. We don't watch other people get up there and perform it. Yes. Amen. And and thanks for saying that. That's a good mm -hmm. disclaimer of yeah. it's, it's not another formula. It's, it's about the Spirit leading us together. Yes. yes. No matter what the structure yeah. Oh, well, that was helpful. So uh, is there a prayer that you'd like to leave there us with? There is. And um, as we enter into this prayer, I would just encourage us as a matter of practice to take a little bit of an in inventory about your own spiritual practices and not so much the what, but the how. Um, are you entering in? How are you entering in in terms, in terms of your posture? Um, are you experiencing the practices as an act of loving obedience or as an act of loving openness, um, as opposed to being something that you have to just kind of force your way through? Um, so, and, and, and is there anything in this session that we've just had that sparks you where you say, man, I'd like to try that? And go ahead and grab it and say, I'm going to try that. And I'm going to try it as a way of opening myself to God, an, a, you know, an action of loving obedience towards God. Well, let's um, settle into ourselves and kind of feel what we're feeling about this whole idea of discipline and practice and loving obedience or loving opening. And just be really honest with God as we breathe in God's presence about how it all feels to us, where we're resisting, where we're resonating, and see if this prayer doesn't meet us in that place. Gracious and loving God, I confess that the idea of discipline raises negative feelings and thoughts in me. Perhaps I think of discipline as punishment. It may raise dark shadows of long forgotten and deeply buried abuse as a child. Perhaps I think of discipline as a heavy burden imposed on me by some outside agency. It may call to mind such experiences from my past. I admit that I have difficulty thinking of discipline as a positive and creative dimension of my relationship with you. I especially have difficulty seeing spiritual disciplines as a means of your grace in my life. Can't you simply touch me at the points of my brokenness and incompleteness and make me well and whole? Help me, Lord, to receive what you have for me in and through these disciplines. Help me to be willing to put my feet on the narrow way that will bring me to complete freedom in your love. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. 
We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.